season in Jesus' name. Good morning, family. Make sure that you keep those greeting videos coming to us wherever you're watching from, whether you're watching from Alice Springs, whether you're watching from the other side of the planet, whether you're watching in any of our remote communities around Australia by ICTV or Satellite Channel 601. We would love to hear from you. Now, listen, the best way for you to get your greeting videos to us is by sending them to our Desert Life Church Facebook page on Messenger. It's the easiest way for you to upload it and transfer it, and it's also the easiest way for us to get it as well. But we want to see your faces. We want to hear from you. We'll be hearing from some more people in our services tonight at 6pm. Got plenty of our leaders have sent in messages as well and uh, we can't wait to share them with you. What a great day to be together, hey? Uh, even though we're virtually together in uh, cyberspace this morning, but there's been, uh, many of us are gathered in homes, many of us are sitting in our lounge rooms. How great is it when you don't even have to take your PJs off to come to church? Imagine how this is going to reset our norms. I wonder who's going to start wearing them when we're finally allowed to gather again. Who's going to be the first one to wear their PJs to church? I wonder if it'll be the Frearsons turning up in their onesies um, or something else as well. Thanks for joining us. We're so glad that you're with us. Thank you for commenting online. Uh, we are just absolutely thrilled that you're joining us. Today, we're going to begin a new series that's going to cover something that we will focus on over the next couple of weeks. And the series is called Walking in Peace in Troubled Times. How many people know that the times we're living in are greatly troubled? And uh, even if our times aren't troubled, sometimes you and I are troubled. We go through troubles. We have troubled times. And uh, we need to learn, what do I do when trouble comes my way? What do I do in the face of suffering? How do I handle it? Can I have peace or do I just have to be at the mercy of all my circumstances and the wind and the waves and the storms? And what do I do? Listen, we have to understand something that suffering is certain, but peace is possible. I want you to just nudge the person sitting next to you on the couch or maybe sing out down the hallway to them. Hey, suffering is certain, but peace is possible. It's something we all grapple with, isn't it? It's the certainty of trouble, but the possibility of peace. And in our world, many people have had their peace robbed lately by economic issues, financial issues, job challenges, loss of jobs, loss of businesses, even the fear of a loss of business, anxiety about the future, distress about health or that of loved ones, distressing images that are coming all the way through the news media or your, or your social media feed. People are afraid of the future. People are feeling just ambiguous. They're stuck inside their houses now. Their usual um, set of activities has been robbed from them. And so people can just be feeling a whole lot of negative emotion. And that means even if you're like me in Alice Springs, I'm living in Alice Springs, safer probably than anywhere else in the country right now in a remote community. Uh, and I haven't got any COVID-19 issues in my own life. Uh, and yet we are faced with our own set of challenges, aren't we? If through the shifting of our schedules, through being on lockdown, through concern for our friends and family elsewhere, um, our world is being shaken. And today, we're going to begin a new series. We're going to talk about it again tonight at 6pm. Walking in peace in troubled times. Troubles come, and they often come. Even if this COVID-19 crisis is averted and avoided, the truth of the matter is, a new trouble will come. Some other challenge will rise. Another set of wind and waves will blow in, and it doesn't take long, does it? Listen, many, many people know it is not realistic to think that we are not going to encounter trouble in our lives. So the question is not, will trouble come? The question is, when trouble comes, can I walk in peace? Will I walk in peace? Listen, in this message, I want to do a couple of things. The first one is this. I want to show you what Jesus says, and I want to show you what Jesus promises us when we encounter 
trouble. The second thing is I just want you to let God's word wash over you this morning. I'm not going to give you a formula. I'm not going to give you a three-step plan. I'm I'm not going to give you a 27-point to-do list. This is what I'm going to do this morning. I just want you to let God's word wash over you. This is how God creates. Genesis chapter 1 tells us that the earth was formless and void. There was nothing. But the Spirit of God hovered over the face of that nothingness. And God spoke his word, let there be light. And suddenly it happened. And this is what happens when God's word washes over us. The Holy Spirit takes that word and works it in us. It washes over us. The Holy Spirit works it in us. So this is your job today. Sit back and just allow God's word to wash over you. Don't focus on what I have to do about this. Focus on this. Can I receive God's word this morning. And it's important. Hebrews tells us God's word is living and active and it penetrates our lives. It penetrates to the soul, it penetrates to the below the waterline areas of our life, doesn't it? We've all experienced that and we're going to do it. So don't focus on doing this morning. We're going to continue a journey over the next couple of weeks as well. And today's simply going to be an introduction to that. Now, here's my bet. I'm about to say some things that are going to upset some people. I'm about to say some things that are going to make many of you angry. I'm going to say some things and many of you in the middle of while I'm talking are going to face the temptation to stop listening to what I'm saying and start churning and and burning over everything, okay? So this is what I want you to do. Do me a favour. Stay with me to the end of the message until we pray at the end and see what God's Spirit is saying to you by the end. Listen, I'm committed not just to telling you what you want to hear. I'm committed to telling you what you need to hear from God's Word, okay? That's my job. And so this morning, some of us are going to get upset about this because we're going to find it challenging and it's actually okay if we do. Stay with me to the end of the journey, okay? It's a commitment my wife and I have to each other. When there's conflict in our relationship, what do we do? We stay to the end of the conversation sorted out. We don't leave halfway. (laughs) Your job today is to try to get past the discomfort you may feel in what I'm about to say and absorb God's Word. Before Jesus went to the cross... What a great time we celebrated last weekend, Easter, hey? The high point of the Christian narrative, the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Before Jesus went to the cross, he spent some time talking with his disciples. He had the Last Supper with them. And then after he had the, this supper, he then, in the upper room where they were, began to talk to them. And it goes from John 14, John 15 and John 16. It's called the Upper Room Discourse. And it's a chat that Jesus had to his disciples. It's his last words to them before he was arrested. He chats with them. Then they walk to the garden of Gethsemane where he agonizes and prays. And there he's arrested. Then they don't talk to Jesus again until he is risen from death. And he appears in his resurrection glory to them. And this upper room discourse is fascinating because it is the instructions of Jesus. How are they going to survive when Jesus has not just died and resurrected, but ascended to heaven? How are they going to live in the world where Jesus is no longer physically present with them? He's seated in the throne in heaven right now, not physically present in this world other than his church, which is his body, Paul says, the hands and feet of him who brings the fullness of all in all, Paul said. So now Jesus is in heaven. His church is his body on earth. But we need Jesus. We don't just need the church, do we? And Jesus made some promises in this upper room discourse. You should read it sometime. John 14, John 15, John 16. And in this discourse, Jesus trains us. He teaches us. He disciples us as we get to listen into what he said to those first followers. And he makes them a whole bunch of predictions. 
And the predictions are not fun ones. The predictions are about anxiety and trouble and stress and persecution and being harried. The, 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 the predictions are not joyful ones necessarily. And in the midst of that, Jesus gives them some instructions. He says, I'm telling you this so you'll feel peace. I'm telling you this so you'll know me. I'm telling you this to encourage your hearts. Okay. So he's giving them the bad news, but he's also giving them the good news. And I think the high point of the discourse of the Sermon on the Mount is at its very end, a summary statement from Jesus in John chapter 16 and verse 33. We're going to read it together. I'm reading from the NIV translation. You can read it from whichever translation you like. They're mostly pretty good these days. John chapter 16, verse 33. Listen to what Jesus says after he tells them everything. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Let's just think about that for a second. Let's just sit in what Jesus says. This passage contains in it both a promise and a possibility. Here's what it is. First one, Jesus promises there's something you will have in this world and that's called trouble. But there's something you could have in this world and that's called peace. Trouble is a guarantee. Peace is a possibility. That's what we're going to talk today. There's a guarantee and a possibility in this verse. Some people have been trained the wrong way. Some people have been trained, if you follow Jesus, you'll never have trouble. That's not what Jesus promised. In fact, hey, I have never seen a bumper sticker or a fridge magnet or a tapestry on a wall that had this verse on it that where Jesus, here's the promise of God that I'm standing on. In this world, you will have trouble. I've never seen someone standing on that promise, that's for sure. <laughs> but that's a possibility. That's not just a possibility. It's a promise. It's a prediction of Jesus. If you're in this world, trouble is a guaranteed thing. But you may have peace. There's the possibility that in the midst of that trouble, you could have peace. Trouble is for sure. You don't have to do anything. It's guaranteed. So listen, we're answering the question over the next little while. How do I walk in peace in troubled times? And let me give you the first idea. You and I have to recognize that in troubled, that troubled times are a fixed reality. We will have trouble in this world. There is adversity. There is suffering. And what has happened over this last little while with COVID-19 and lockdowns and economic challenges, job challenges, health challenges, a global situation, is that the bubble of our modern confidence has been burst as we've realised we don't really control as much stuff as we think we control. We can't control weather. We can't control the elements of nature. The bushfires all over Australia this year taught us that. And now we can't control this one virus wreaking havoc around planet Earth. And now we can't control how we respond. Some of us are finding business challenges out of our control. Some of us are finding health challenges out of our control. Now some of us are feeling ambiguous emotion and we're afraid, man, how am I feeling about all this? I don't feel good. Is that within my control too? And it's just trouble, trouble, trouble for some of us. And of course, if this crisis goes away, there'll be a new type of trouble for you another day, unfortunately. Listen, many of us have been taught the wrong thing. We've been led to believe trouble is something that we won't have. We've been deceived, we've deceived ourselves, our modern society has deceived us with its comfortability and our economic strength or our ability to flee onto the internet and numb ourselves <laughs> or our ability to use substances to numb ourselves. We've tricked ourselves into thinking we can avoid trouble. And one of the big things about this current situation our whole world is faced with is we've had to wake up and say, man, even here in central Australia, far away from anywhere else in the country, we can't avoid this trouble. Trouble is guaranteed. 
Some people have been taught that if they're religious, they won't ever experience suffering. They suppose that if they do all the right things by God, then God will make sure that nothing bad ever happens to him. If I, God, I've done the right things. I did this, I did this, I did this. Now make sure everything good happens to me. That's religion for you. It's a formula. I do this. God has to do this. Actually, that's not Christianity, by the way. That's actually closer to witchcraft. If you look at it through the lens of an anthropologist or a Bible student. Some people, they think if God loved me, he wouldn't let anything bad happen to me. So others have been taught Jesus died for your suffering, so you'll never have to suffer. Some of us, if we've been abused, we see it the other way. All we do is expect to suffer in life and we never see the good. Some of us have been overly pampered by helicopter parents who bubble-wrapped us and made sure nothing bad ever happened to us. And then we found ourselves distressed or in trouble in the world one day and we didn't know how to respond because we were thoroughly inequipped. We didn't believe that suffering could happen to us. And when it did, we were stunned and shocked and paralysed. And that's happening to many of us right now. Many of us have not had a good theology of suffering or a good understanding of the possibility. This is why I said that this might make you mad. And this is why I said you might not want to hear what I'm talking about today. Because I'm here to talk to you about the promise. There is trouble in this world. Our question is not, will it come? It's when's it going to come? And our question really is, then how can I maintain peace? How can I walk in victory? How can I live in the midst of this trouble? Trouble is disabling if you don't think it can happen to you. This is what they teach people in law enforcement, in the military. They teach first aid responders, medical people. They teach them, you better expect really bad things can happen because if you don't have in your mind a mindset of preparedness, I've got to be ready for trouble. I've got to expect trouble can happen. If you don't have a mindset of readiness, then when it comes, you are shocked and paralyzed. You've got to have a mindset of readiness. The denial response, the hiding response, many of us hide from it. We numb ourselves through addiction or other things. We run away from trouble. We deny it. We go into denial. We ignore it. We bury our heads in the sand and we pretend it's not happening and we let the shock drive us to just throw the, 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 the pillow over our face. All these responses are disabling responses and they do not help you live a flourishing life. And Jesus promised us, you can have peace in the midst of trouble, but you will have trouble. And today we're going to talk about that. What did Jesus teach us and how can we live? I want you to hear something very, very clear. Nowhere in all the pages of Scripture are you promised you will not ever experience trouble in your life. Nowhere. None of us, none of us are promised a trouble-free life. But we are made promises concerning suffering. I want you just to tap your neighbour on the shoulder right now. Do a socially distanced Wi-Fi across the room and say, hey, listen, listen, we, we're not promised we won't suffer, but we are made promises concerning suffering. We can walk in victory. We can walk in life. We can walk in faith. We are made promises in the midst of the trouble. We're not made any promises that we'll ever avoid trouble. Okay? It's promised, Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. Here's revelation number one. We're going to put it up on the screen for you. Revelation number one. It is healthiest for you to accept and expect that you will suffer. Oh my gosh, write that down, tap your neighbour, tweet it, share it on social media right now. Who just feels so encouraged? Praise God, I'm glad I'm hearing the word of God this morning, the promises of God, Then I'm being told that I should expect and accept that I will suffer. Well, my friend, if you don't, trouble lies ahead, that's for sure. <laughs> I'm not saying we should invite trouble. I'm not saying we should invite suffering. I'm not even saying we should seek it out. But I'm telling you, it is healthiest for you in your life. If you want to walk in peace in troubled times, what is healthiest for you is to have a mindset of readiness that says, I accept and expect suffering will happen. I expect and accept 
that trouble will come my way. And therefore, it's not about how do I avoid it, it's about how do I deal with it if it happens to me. Listen, a psychologist, a counsellor, a therapist, many of them are watching online right now, they can leave a comment on the box. <laughs> Any of them will tell you that it's a core skill, a, co a core mental health skill from the standpoint of um, health and wellbeing is the skill of accepting that trouble's going to come your way. Think about the bumper sticker that you found in the Forrest Gump movie, okay? Remember what it said? I can't say it here on this sermon. Stuff happens. Stuff happens. And you and I, it's healthiest to recognise that the world we live in is not fantasy land where nothing ever goes wrong. We live in the real world. And Jesus came in the midst of the human bloodstream, right in the world with all of its problems, to embrace it and help us through, okay? And what happens? Well, you have to accept. It's healthiest for me to accept and expect that I will suffer. The first thing to learn if you want to walk in peace is that trouble is guaranteed and that helps us reset our expectations. It helps us reset our expectations. In this world, there's definitely trouble and you and I are in this world. So trouble is coming our way, friends. So let's just set ourselves free from the pressure. If I was a good enough Christian, nothing ever bad would happen to me. Oh no, I'm experiencing something bad. Maybe God's not with me. Listen, the presence of trouble does not equal the absence of God. Actually, a lot of the time, the presence of trouble we need to find our way through the fog and gravitate into the presence of God as well, okay? And accepting this or expecting it does not mean being passive. It doesn't mean, oh, well, I give up if trouble's coming my way, I'll just sit here and I won't do anything. It doesn't mean to become hopeless. Oh, well, if, 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 if suffering's going to happen, what's the good of expecting anything good in life? It does not mean to fall victim to helplessness. Oh, well, there's nothing I can do. I'll just sit here in the dust and eat worms. It doesn't mean we embrace nihilism. Oh, there's no purpose now, I just want to die because the past has told me that life is suffering. Listen, accepting and expecting suffering is a core mental health skill that helps you then work out, then how do I handle suffering when it comes? How do I embrace what I'm supposed to do so that I can have a testimony in the midst of my test? Dr. William Berry, writing on the need to expect that bad things might happen to good people, says this, acceptance doesn't in any stretch of the imagination mean passive resignation. Actually, it's the opposite. It takes a huge amount of fortitude and motivation to accept what is, especially when you don't like it or it's difficult, and then work wisely and effectively. Working wisely and effectively as best you possibly can, with the circumstances you find yourself in, with the resources at your disposal, both inner and outer, to mitigate, heal, redirect and change what can be changed. Listen to what he's saying. If you accept and expect that bad things will happen, you're not lying down in defeat. That actually is a skill that helps you prepare. Then how do I fight? How do I move forward? How am I going to walk in victory in this? Okay. Research shows that accepting that it will happen better equips you to deal with it. Not accepting it, living in denial, running away from it, burying your head in the sand, numbing yourself with booze or drugs or alcohol, locking yourself in the room, covering your head with the blankets and refusing to come out and face the big bad world. None of this will help you walk in peace. In fact, it will just increase your anxiety and your depression. It will make it harder for you to deal with it. In fact, all the research on what we know about people says that if you don't accept that suffering will happen, then that very fact makes it harder for you to experience suffering. It makes your suffering worse. The US Army, how many US Army people out there sound off in the comments? The US Army did a study and they studied with um, war veterans 
And they focused the study on a bunch of groups, and one of the groups was limb amputees who had lost some type of limb or experienced a disabling injury through explosions or um, you know, uh, being shot or some type of military accident, battle, whatever, some type of injury. It was called the Army Strong Program. And this is what they found. They found that a person who experiences a severe and permanent disabling injury through military conflict will have a less chance of experiencing debilitating post-traumatic stress disorder if they are taught to expect that suffering is going to happen before they ever experience that. And what they found is that the people who were not taught, man, something really bad could happen, when something really bad does happen, they fell into an, a, an, an irrecoverable post-traumatic stress. And so what was their solution? Well, obviously, the best solution would be if nobody got hurt and no one lost limbs and no one got shot. But of course, in the military, that's a great difficulty. In the world that we live in, that's a great difficulty. So what did they do? They said, we have to prepare soldiers for the worst. We have to prepare them that something really bad could happen and give them the skills. And one of the skills was the resilience skill in the Army Strong Program, teaching them something bad could happen. I better learn to deal with it if it happens, okay? They did that study from 2009 till 2019, that's last year, a 10-year study, and this is what they found, that military people who went to war expecting something bad could happen, and with a game plan in their mind, if something bad did happen, what would I do? They found that those people rebounded a lot more strongly. Listen, especially if you're a military veteran and you're watching this, then we are incredibly grateful to your service for us and our societies. And uh, there's no condemnation or judgment in this illustration whatsoever. If you've been experiencing a difficult time, specifically if you've been injured or you've been wounded or disabled, if you've experienced PTSD, then, man, we're going to be praying for you. You let us know. Get in touch with us. We'd love to be praying for you and standing with you for victory in your life as well. But this is what the Army said after 10 years of study, that if we want to help people who have horrible things happen avoid a further horrible, debilitating, depressing life, then we have to teach them the skill to accept that something bad could come my way. Revelation number one, it's healthiest to accept and expect suffering might happen. Here's revelation number two that I want you to have before we turn to a couple more scriptures. Okay, you ready? Be very cautious in how you explain suffering. Be very cautious. A lot of us aren't, you know. A lot of us aren't, and many of us know because when something really bad's happened to us, a lot of people have come around us and tried to explain to us why suffering has happened. And, and I tell you, if you've ever experienced real grief, real loss, real tragedy, real suffering, there's absolutely nothing worse than someone coming along and telling you why you experienced that. Even if they're right, it doesn't help you, does it? It makes you feel worse. It makes your mind worse. It makes your pain worse. And all it does is make you feel more isolated and more alone. Because people come and put their armor and say, ah, oh, you know, God was trying to tell you something. What about these stupid statements people say to you when you experience suffering? Be very careful. Listen, we make a mistake in our society. We rationalize it. Rationalizing is when we try to explain the answer to the question, why do people suffer? Why did this happen? Why did this happen to me? Why did this happen to them? Our minds want to know an answer. But listen, this is a complex issue. And a lot of the times we're not going to get a good answer to the question why. So we should be very cautious in how we explain suffering. That's called rationalizing. And when we do it, we make a big mistake. Listen, you can summarize a lot of what we know from the whole book of Job in saying, be very cautious about how you explain suffering. The book of Job, his friends came around and told him, you, you, you suffer because you're sinful. You suffered, his wife said, you suffered because God's not nice, so abandon God. His other friend said, you suffered because you did something wrong. Your children suffered because they did something wrong. And at the end of the book, God says, hey, were you guys around when I formed the earth? then shut your mouths. In other words, don't 
jump to conclusions when it comes to explaining suffering. The tendency in modern culture is to come up with very bad cliches, trite statements, trite sayings that help us explain why do people suffer. And most of the time, there's a false assumption in there. I used to be into Buddhist meditation, and I learned in Buddhist meditation that we suffer because we've either done something wrong in our previous life, and now our karma has stocked up, and that's what's happening. Or the other thing we learned is that, oh, no, no, we suffer because all the root of all suffering is desire and attachment. So just don't be attached to anything and don't desire anything, and then you won't suffer because all the world is an illusion. Listen, none of that helps because it's not true. It's simply not true. You can't look a a poor child in the face that's been born into a slum in a community in New Delhi like we were there two months ago and say, well, we won't help this starving child because the reason they're poor and starving is because in a previous life they did something wrong. So they kind of deserve to suffer. So let's just leave them alone. That does not help anyone. And it's certainly not what Jesus taught. Sometimes Christians don't, don't explain things, obviously, the Buddhist way. They say more stupid things. Oh, you're suffering because you must have sinned or your parents sinned or somebody sinned and that's why you've suffered. Other times, oh, you, you, you didn't have enough faith. You experienced suffering because you didn't have enough faith. If you had more faith, you wouldn't have suffered. See, this is rationalizing, and it cannot be substantiated by a journey through the Bible. Remember, Jesus made one thing very clear. No matter who you are, no matter where you are, no matter when you are, in this world, there is trouble. In this world, you will have trouble. Suffering is not optional, and it's not adequate to look in the face of suffering and say, well, if I didn't sin, I wouldn't suffer, or if I, didn't, if I had more faith, I wouldn't suffer, because, listen, you cannot sin and you'll still suffer. You can have more faith and you will still experience suffering. I'm sorry to give you the bad news, but, listen, I want you to make an effort. Be very cautious about the way you explain suffering. Be very aware of it because sometimes the quest to explain suffering is actually a form of denial itself, a denial. Instead of accepting and expecting there are some bad things that are going to happen in this life, then I'm going to come up with an explanation that makes me feel better about it, but it doesn't make you feel better, it makes you feel worse. In fact, all of the research says that rationalising in the face of suffering creates more depression, feeds anxiety, reduces resilience, which is the ability to cope with trouble, It creates self-loathing, it builds feelings of despair, builds feelings of hopelessness. It prolongs shock and grief and makes it harder for you to get out of the horrible cycle that shock and grief is. And it gets you stuck, paralysed, frozen and incapacitated. So, if you think suffering is bad, go ahead and try to rationalise that suffering or live in denial, which is basically gives you to the same thing. And then you're not just suffering, now you're suffering more depressed and more anxious, okay? So if you think suffering's bad, you can make your suffering worse. And the way you make the suffering worse is either by denying that it's going to happen or seeking to not be careful when you're explaining what happens, okay? Along with these negative dynamics, we create self-blame, we create self-loathing, we create condemnation on others when we teach them that they're suffering because they've done something wrong. Or we create false hope because then they start to live, well, maybe if I didn't do something, maybe I would never experience anything bad. And eventually, bam, their bubble's going to get popped because trouble will come your way. I didn't say it, Jesus said it. So here's Revelation number three. It's got to balance out Revelation number two about being careful in explaining suffering. Revelation number three is this. We're going to put it on the screen. There are different types of suffering and there are different reasons for it. You know, in the New Testament, this week I did a study of it, there are 45 different types of suffering described in the New Testament. There actually may be more because I was only able to identify 45 of them based on a narrow search bandwidth that I had set up for myself. I'm just going to give you an example of a couple. There's the suffering of physical illness. Horrible. There's circumstantial turmoil. 
There's horrible acts of nature, bushfires, earthquakes, storms, droughts. There's accidents. Remember Paul with his shipwrecks and his snake bites? There's injustice perpetrated by others. There's suffering because of my own weakness and my own issues. There's suffering because sometimes God's word challenges me and I have to make difficult choices which might actually cause suffering. That happens, ask the Christians in China or the Middle East. There's suffering as a result of my own wrongdoing. Man, I've made some big mistakes in my life and sometimes it's really kicked my butt for it. There's suffering as a result of someone else's wrong or evil. That's happened to me too. What about you? There's persecution because of being righteous, that's suffering. There's suffering because you're married. It's not a joke, not a joke. Listen, in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul actually said this, and some some married people, one of the reasons why your marriage is lacking so much peace is because you don't understand that there is suffering in marriage because you have to learn to live together and do the right thing by each other, and that can be difficult sometimes. See, if you expect and accept that within a marriage there will be suffering, then you learn, well, how do we live together and have peace together in the midst of suffering? Paul said in 1 Corinthians 7, um, listen, if you women want to get married, go for it, but if you're single, I recommend you stay single because if you get married, there'll be a lot of suffering suffering in your life. (laughs) And it's funny, but it's true. Doesn't mean don't get married. It means go into it with your eyeballs well opened to what could happen. Oh man, I wish more people read that verse before they went and got married and were surprised by their suffering. Marriage is wonderful and it's great, but no one could deny it has its challenges. That's for sure. Suffering Here's another one, suffering out of concern for other people. Sometimes you love other people and you see what's going on in their lives and you suffer for it. (laughs) There's suffering because of general life difficulties in in your work, in your family, in your relationships, in church. Suffering in your calling, suffering in your ministry, suffering listening to my ministry. There's all sorts of suffering for you. Suffering within your own psyche and soul. Existential suffering, we call it, but the Bible just calls it in your turmoil in your soul. Now listen. There's all types of suffering. I've just given you an example of the 45. There's 45 that the New Testament talks about. The reasons for suffering vary. Sometimes it's because I caused it. Uh huh. That's true. Sometimes it's because others cause it. Mm-hmm. That's true. Sometimes it's just not as simple as blaming someone or even identifying a very obvious cause. Bad things happen to good people. We don't always know why. We might one day when we get to heaven know everything. We don't know it now. So we have to be very careful about assuming and about commenting on in relation to others that we know why they might be suffering. We have to be very cautious on thinking that we know what the suffering means before we've really had a chance to analyse, well, hang on, what type of suffering are we talking about here? And do I know all the facts or am I just making a judgment based on a surface level? There are some incredibly stupid voices in our world right now saying things like bushfires and COVID-19 is God's judgment on our nation. Just sheer foolishness. Not only can you not substantiate that from a biblical perspective, but philosophically, you have no idea of the dynamics that go into that. So to claim that God is the cause of this because he's judging people for their sin, number one, flies in the face of everything Jesus taught and accomplished on the cross. And number two, flies in the face of good sense. So listen, be very careful in how you seek to explain suffering. One thing that we learn from the book of Job, (laughs) be humble in the face of suffering. Don't come up with stupid explanations. Resist the urge. I'll tell you why I limited my search category to 45 different types of suffering, because those 45 different types of suffering mentioned in the New Testament are all summarized by one Greek word. This wonderful scripture that we have written in this ancient language, fortunately now translated into our languages, most of us. And there's one word that goes all the way through the New Testament to describe suffering, to describe trouble, to describe affliction. Here it is. We're going to put it up on the screen. The word is thlipsis. 
Flipsis. So you're going to spit all over your television or your iPad if you try to say that. Flipsis. Flipsis. This Greek word appears 45 times in the New Testament and is translated as suffering, affliction, trouble, uh, adversity, all sorts of different ways. 45 times it's mentioned. Here's what the word really means. The word means pressure. It means squeezing. It means constriction. It means narrowness. It was said that when you harvested grapes in the ancient world, if you wanted to make wine, you would harvest all the grapes and you put them in the wine press and then what would you do? You would flipsis them. You would squeeze them. You'd put them in the wine press, you put the lid on, and then you screw down the lid which tightens and tightens and squeezes all the juice. You make those grapes suffer. That's how wine is made, okay? There's a world of thought in that, by the way. Flipsis, it's pressure, it's squeezing. Imagine if in your house, this is what happens in our house, that the cupboard where we keep our linen, our towels, all right, we have more towels than shelf space. The height of the towels is greater than the height of the shelves. So what do I do when we fold all these towels nightly? My wife's, my wife's watching this saying, you never fold the towels. I know, but I'm lying for a good sermon illustration, honey, so just give me a break. When we fold all those towels nicely, the stack is this high, the shelf is this high. So what do you do to fit all the towels in? You squeeze them down, then you jam them into the shelf. You put the towels under pressure. It's really annoying because then you go to take one towel out and the whole cupboard comes out and everything spills out. How many people have a cupboard like that in their house? In Greek, it's Greek for Tupperware cupboard or something like that. Flipsis. Flipsis is to compress, to squeeze, to put under great pressure. So when you make the wine, you put the grapes under great suffering. You squeeze them. Flipsis. When you want to put the towels in the cupboard, you, you compress them. You put the pressure on, you squeeze them. You, you flipsis the towels, then they fit in the cupboard. But you pull one out and it all goes to pieces. That's flipsis, my friends. And the Bible teaches us very clearly, flipsis is what we'll have in this world. In John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. And that's, what he, that's the word he uses. In this world, you will have flipsis. <laughs> Say it fast. You will have suffering. You will have pressure. You're going to get squeezed. Okay? He said it's going to happen. But we can draw comfort because the promise is that flipsis will happen, but Jesus teaches us peace may happen to us. Okay? The balance is here. The, the, the promise of trouble is balanced out by the possibility of peace. This is what we've said so far, okay? Stay with me. Number one, that we should accept and expect that suffering is going to happen and not deny it, face up to it. Number two, we've said we should be very cautious in explaining suffering because there are many, many different types of suffering and many reasons for it. And then we've also said that the Bible gives us a whole bunch of different types of suffering, Okay? And there's trouble and squeezing and pressure all over our world at the moment. Trouble, squeezing and pressure for all sorts of reasons, okay? Well, let me give you Revelation number four, and that's why I hope that you're still staying with me in our few remaining minutes together. Revelation number four, although suffering is certain, peace is possible. Peace is possible. The truth of trouble can be balanced out with the promise of peace. I want to put that up on the screen for you. The truth of trouble can be balanced out with the promise of peace. I'm going to give you a quick Greek language lesson for those of you who are playing at home. When Jesus said that you will have suffering, he does it in this special Greek construct called an indicative, okay? And an indicative means it's definitely happening. He's indicating to us this is definitely happening. In this world, you will have trouble. Actually, in the Greek, Jesus makes it a present indicative. What that means is in this world, you have trouble. He's not even predicting into the future. He's saying in this world, you have trouble 
trouble. In this world, you have slipsis. In this world, you have adversity. You have squeezing. You have pressure. That is in the indicative. Jesus saying you don't have to do anything. You don't have to stand on the promises here. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to look for it. There's one thing that's certain. In this world, you do have trouble. That's what he's saying, okay? But listen, but listen to what he says. I've told you these things. He's taught, he's spoken, he's opened our eyes. He's shared the gospel. He's come in John 14, 15 and 16. He's given the upper room discourse. Listen to what he says. I've told you these things that in me you may have peace. In the Greek, you could translate it this way. I've told you these things that in me you might have peace. Now that is not indicative. He doesn't say, I've told you this and you'll definitely have peace. He says, I've told you this, and because I've told you this in me, you might have peace. In this world, you definitely have trouble, but in me, it's possible for you to have peace. There's a promise of suffering, but there's a possibility of peace. But listen, everyone will experience the suffering, but here's my question. Will you experience the peace of Jesus? Jesus says suffering is in this world, but so is peace. But listen, peace is not a definite. Peace is only a maybe, because it comes with a condition. It comes with a condition. In Greek, it's called the subjunctive. So it should be translated as this. In this world, you might have peace. And it's also a subjunctive and it's uh, in a present active voice. So you don't have to memorize these terms. But what it means is you could translate it like this way. I've told you these things so that in me, you may have continual ongoing peace. You will have trouble in this world. But if you walk with Jesus, it's possible for you to have an ongoing and continuous sense of peace. We'll all have suffering. But we can also have ongoing peace. But it's not guaranteed for everybody because it's found in what Jesus said. I've told you these things so that in me you might have peace. So here's the question, my friends. It's not will you suffer. The question is when you're suffering. When you're suffering. How would you like to suffer? Do you want to suffer with peace? Or do you want to suffer without peace? And in Christ... There's a promise. There's a set of promises, not that we'll never have trouble, but that our trouble will be accompanied by him. If we live our lives in him, if we walk in him, if we obey his word, if we absorb his word, okay? Listen to what he says. In me, you might have peace. In Christ, we can know his presence and his calming, victorious life flow, even in the midst of our suffering, okay? What does it mean? Jesus has a promise. In me, you will have peace. What does it mean? Well, if you're in him, not out of him, If Jesus is my source, if I want to grow plants in my garden, I have to put the plant in the garden. And the garden bed I raise my plant in, its roots will go down into and all of its nurture, all of its nourishing and all of its source will be in that bed. And Jesus is saying, if your life is planted in me, then there's some things that will happen. Yes, trouble will happen, but listen, peace can happen, but peace only happens when your life is implanted in me. So knowing peace and walking in peace in times of trouble is a matter of me saying, man, I've got to get my roots down deep in Jesus and also not just let the trouble happen, but let his life flow. Many times Jesus is not our source. Many times our roots are not implanted in Jesus. This is all a question, who is your source? When Jesus is our source, we will have trouble, but man, we can know peace, we can know victory, we can know life in the midst. Sometimes people are my source and when people are my source, I'll be disappointed. Sometimes I am my own source. I live my pride, independent, arrogant, proud, self-sufficient life. Well, 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 trouble is ahead. And sometimes things are my source. 20 years ago, booze was my source. Drugs was my source. Just chasing money in my career path was my source. Power, getting a promotion, becoming a manager, running that company. These are all 
all little treadmills that I walked on and I found that with Jesus not as my source, but me as my source, things as my source, people as my source, I was continually empty and broken. And not only did trouble come, but I had no peace. What about you? And Jesus says that we can know his peace, but we can only know his peace when we live our lives in him, when he is our source. So here's the possibility of peace, that we can walk in Jesus and join him so closely that we inherit his peace and we overcome along with him. That's the rest of the verse that Jesus says. In this world, you will have trouble. I've told you these things so that in me, you can have peace. In this world, you have trouble, but take heart. There it is, the encouragement. There's, the, there, there's, the, there's the, the lifting of our head that Jesus does with his word. And why don't you let the Holy Spirit speak that word to your heart? Yes, you'll have trouble, but take heart. Jesus says, I have overcome the world. Well, if I live my life in Jesus, now suddenly I'm joined to the overcomer and I can know the nature of what it means to be an overcomer. And this is the bit that I want you to let wash over you. Over the next few weeks, we're going to talk practically about, well, how do I apply this stuff? How do I walk in peace in a troubled world? But today, I want you to let God's word wash over you. If you make Jesus your source, and if you will have your life in him, planted in him, living in him, then you can know peace. Jesus has overcome the world. He suffered greatly, but he is filled with glory. And now he says, if you live your life in me, my victory can be your victory. Take heart, I've overcome the world, says Jesus. And that doesn't mean you'll never suffer, but it means in the midst of suffering, you can face that trial with an overcomer's spirit. Somebody say amen in Jesus' name. In John chapter 16, verse 33, listen to what Jesus says. I've, oh, well, we just read it. Verse um, 28 of Romans, listen to what he says. We know in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Verse 31, what shall we say then in response to these things? God, God is for us. Who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? Let's look at verse 35 of Romans chapter 8. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, there you go, it's the Greek word flipsis. Shall trouble separate us from the love of God? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? It is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, listen to what Paul says, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither life nor death, neither angels or demons or present or future or powers, nor height or depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ our Lord. It's not that we won't have these things, but in the midst of them we can be more than conquerors and experience the life and love of God. I want you to let these words wash over you. Let the Holy Spirit begin to stir your faith, begin to stir your heart, begin to cause you to rise up victoriously. Listen to what Paul said, and we'll unpack this over the next few weeks. Paul was writing a letter in Philippians chapter 4. He wrote to thank the Philippians, thanks for your support. Listen to what he said. I'm saying this not because I'm in need, but I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. Listen to what he says. But I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Some of your translations say, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And you know, you see from sports people who have it tattooed on their chest to bumper stickers, oh, that great promise, I can do all things. But listen to the all things Paul is saying here. I can face up to trouble. I can face up to thlipsis. I can flourish in the midst of adversity. But why? Because through him, I can have strength. I can do it all. Listen, whatever you're going through today, my friend, get full of the Holy Spirit. Walk close to Jesus. Let 
let God's word wash over you and create something new in you, the I can do all things spirit that will help you rise above your adversity so that you can begin to walk in peace and get some of your peace back. Romans chapter 5. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace which we now stand. Listen to what he says. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God, not also, but we glory in our sufferings. Flips us. We glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. He doesn't say you won't have suffering. He says you could get to a place through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit and the love of God because of the gospel that even in suffering you can glory. Wow. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 4 to 6, he says, we, You know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. And you know how we lived among you. You became imitators of us of the Lord. For you welcomed the message. Listen, you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. Listen, why don't you just welcome God's word into your heart today? Begin to ask God, God, send your spirit into my life. Give me that joy, even in spite of what I'm facing. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3, listen to what he says. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so our comfort abounds through Christ. This is where we're going to land it. Praise be to God, he comforts us in all our troubles. There's that word again, flips us. He comforts us in all our pressure. He comforts us in all our squeezing. He comforts us in all our trials. We're going to walk together over the next few weeks tonight in our 6pm service. Log on, we'll be talking, we'll be continuing this thought. We'll talk a little bit more practically. But today, I wanted to lay up a framework. Don't, don't live in denial. Tr- trouble's here to stay. We will have it. Don't rush to explain it. Understand there's many reasons why trouble comes. But hey, understand, in the promise of trouble, there's also the promise or the possibility of peace. And it's found by walking in Jesus. I'm going to close today by praying for you, my friend. And I'm going to be praying that now you will take God's word. If you're part of our church family here in Desert Life Church, I emailed you 12 cue cards during the week. If you're on our database, if you didn't get that email, you're not on our database, maybe uh, get on our database. And um, I emailed you 12 cue cards with these very scriptures we've been sitting because I want you to get them into your heart. I want you to say, Holy Spirit, like you hovered over creation when God said, let there be light, now hover over my life and create this hope in the midst of suffering. Create this faith, create this victory, create this overcoming in Jesus' name. Let me pray for you, my friend. I'm going to pray right now in the words of Paul that you in the midst of any type of challenge you're facing, any suffering, any illness, any isolation, any depression, any injury that you've had, any situation you're going through that's been robbing you of your joy, I'm praying right now for you that the great comfort of the Holy Spirit would come and that he would move upon your life. Father, I thank you right now. Jesus said, I will not leave you orphans, but I will ask the Father and he will send you another comfort of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth. So this morning I pray, Father, that as we've sat under your word together, you would take your word and implant it deeply in our hearts. Bring us goodness, bring us grace, bring us victory, bring us joy in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, God bless you, my friend. Thank you for joining us in. Join us again sometime real soon. I'm going to hand back to Pastor Meredith Somerville. God bless you.